with artists created and produced by Detlef Schlick, a visual artist and ritual designer, living and loving in West Cork, and best known for his essay about the cause and effect of shamanism, art and digital culture. Working in the field of performance, photography, painting, sound, installations, and film he will dive and discover with us and a weekly creative guest into the unknown and exciting deep ocean of the creative mind. This is Detlef Schlich, and today we dive into the exciting and unexpected ocean of the creative mind with David Buckley. Is that right? No, Bickley. That's all right. I'm always called, in Ireland, right, I'm called Bickley, I'm called uh, Brickley, Buckley, <laughs> and Begley. And in fact, on official documents, I'm all three. You know what I mean? I don't bother correcting people anymore. I go, yeah, whatever. You, you see, I was wondering because I knew it is Bickley and, and I have ever written down here just just Buckley. I don't know why, you know. My, my yeah, well, every, well, cause it, yeah, because yeah. Bickley's not a bit unusual, yeah. Yeah. Uh, actually, David, Ian Bickley, isn't it? Yes. Well, that's only because there's another David Bickley who kept, we kept on getting confused with each other. He's a photographer in New York. And uh, yeah, so I just changed the David Ian Bickley just to make it different. Yeah. All right. Hi, David. Hi, Det. It's great to have you here in my show. And it's actually now my, my second, second uh, 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 Skype talk. Right. Uh, I'm so excited because it works well and I'm getting so used uh, to it with, with this um, double ender technology. So I pick up your, your, your MP3 or WAV file and, and uh, stitch it together with my stuff. So I'm able to, uh, to create a, a high quality podcast. I'm so happy about that because I think well, it it's, is just, it's just great. To, it's just great to talk to somebody. <laughs> In this day and age, you know what I mean? Yeah, 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 yeah that's true as well. So are, are, are you uh, cocooning? Uh, yeah, kind of, yeah, yeah, kind of. Well, I'm enjoying the isolation, actually. It's a good excuse to get on with stuff that needs finishing, <laughs> you know, really. That's, that's, that's true. I mean, that's, that's, yeah, sure. So... David, so I would like to to start the the first um, part of our, our three talks with with you actually in general, <coughs> where you're from. I don't know much about you. I mean, I researched a little bit, but uh, so you're 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 probably Irish, I think. Uh, no, nope, I'm English. You're English. Yeah. Well, I do have a distant on my mother's side, very distant Irish connection and a Welsh yeah. connection. And a Cornish right. connection, so I, I kind of a pan-international Celt, really. <laughs> but uh, no, I was born in England. Um, I was born in Dorset. Was I? No, I was born in Cheshire, but I grew up in Dorset. Yeah. You're born in, in Cheshire? Yeah. Where? A uh, place called Woodley, so not far from Manchester, really. Yeah. So, but, but my whole my family um, background, they're from Derbyshire, really. They were miners, uh, Blue John miners. All right. Then Blue John is a really rare um, for a foul spa, uh, and 
the, the, the kind of main theme of it was discovered by, by one of my ancestors in the 1700s. And they were all miners then. They were lead miners. And, and uh, so my family, all kind of loads of relations in Castleton in uh, Derbyshire, yeah. So that's quite interesting. I mean, I'm, the, more, the more I live here in Ireland, the, the more I get as well familiar to, to the UK, uh, mm. uh, to Great Britain as as well, you know, so which, which is quite interesting. So, you know, I mean, uh, you don't have a chance in Germany. I mean, you have it somehow, but but not not on such an intense way like here in Ireland, you know, mm. because so so yeah so you you grow up as well more than on the countryside over there i did well i did my parents kept on moving <laughs> they kept on moving from the north of england to the south of england back to the north and back to the south which is a bit confusing and uh it's also difficult because i mean there is still a north-south divide in england but it was it was really strong uh back in the like 60s and 70s so and so you know you you'd move down south from the north of england and that I'd have an accent like this, hello there lads, and they'd go, oh, you thick northern git, bash, you know what I mean? And then you could be, yeah. And then like what you hear so far? Make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. Now back to the oh, show. Soft northern git, <laughs> soft southern git, bang. So, uh, oh god. So, uh, so yeah. So a, lo the, a lot of fights were involved, or what? Ah, uh, well, it's just there was always this north-south divide, and I mean the 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 north hated the south, and the south hated the north. And it was very very strong then, and it's still kind of there. We we see it economically now in England. Uh, we yeah. see it, yeah, with with not giving resources to the north. Really, it's all very yeah. London centric. So, yeah, it still exists, really. You know. But uh, but I grew up uh, my my fondest memories. No, I didn't have very fond memories of Derbyshire, but um, uh, going there with my parents a lot. But my f my kind of strongest memories are from Dorset, growing up in Dorset, and particularly because you know, I, I, my formative years from the age of, I suppose, fourteen, I lived in Dorset. Yeah, know? and uh, Dorset is an incredibly beautiful county. It's um, It's um, it's Thomas Hardy land. You know, so it's full of thatched cottages and cream teas. And hello, dear, would you like to come inside for a cider, and stuff like that. Yeah. And it's uh, I, I just I loved also. It was really really pretty and beautiful, beautiful bucolic county. Yeah. All right. Yeah. I mean, I I, I know actually. So so I I went once. I mean, sure, London, uh, Glastonbury as well. I mean, I was. I was yeah. on, 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 on well. You're close, Glastonbury. Glas Glastonbury. You're close to Dorset because Somerset's next door. Um, but I know, right. I know Glastonbury very well, and I know Somerset very well. Yeah. Have you been on the festivals? Sure. I played at the festival. Did you? Yeah. In uh, I don't know. I actually found a poster there online with with the name of our band. We were Green Coyote. We played on a very minor stage, but we did. Yeah, I did play at Glastonbury. Yeah. <laughs> Green Back Coyote. In the day, Back in the good days, though. When so then I, it was in the seventies. No, God, no, I'm not that old. No, it's uh, I'd have been a child then. No, <laughs> it was um, it was in like about eighty two, I think. So, so, um, so when you when you were born, I mean, I'm I'm sixty two, so we're probably a little bit same. Sixty one, yeah. I'm a year older than you. So, all right, yeah, no, okay, yeah, I was yeah. guessing that, yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, but it was when, when I say it was the good days of Glastonbury, as my mate always says, the festivals basically stopped being fun when they banned fires 
because up until I don't know maybe 20 years ago or less no I, mean, I think 20 years ago when you yeah. went to Glastonbury you basically had all these little areas where you know people have a load of tents in a particular area but they'd have a sure. fire so yeah. that fire would become a focal point people would sit down they'd start jamming they have little lamps a little stage would be created or whatever and yeah. they were the best gigs were those little minor little round the fire and people telling stories and, and yeah. doing whatever doing magic tricks you know that was the best crack and as soon as they they stopped the the fires it kind of it became very commercialized you know what i mean still pretty mental though i was there i don't know i think i was there in the 80s it was i think robert plant was playing at this time all right right and uh i don't know the other bands anymore but it was quite funny because i i went in as 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 as, as pizza service together <laughs> together with some rastafaris you know they nice. they asked me hey do you do you do you want a ticket you know so i say yes how much is it you know so, and he said yeah 15 euro no 15 15 pound was it at, at this time uh no it's still pound i mean it's still you. pounds uh, yeah. yeah uh it's 15 pound and 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 you, you got this rest thing you know so 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 they gave me they gave me they, they put me a thing up gave me five five pizza boxes card boxes and i was going in with them so that was the ticket you know yeah, yeah. So, nice. so, so, so i mean it was still i think 150 pounds or for a day or for two days 200 pounds something like that great fun i had so much fun at glastonbury and other festivals too and i remember i'd, I'd come back from festival and say oh god did you see so and so at the festival you know some famous musician and i'd say what they have music there too yeah, I mean, I don't see. I yeah. went to see a single band. You know? I just see having such crack. It's brilliant. I love it. This is what they have. This is 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 a guy called Christian Lunch, not his real name. Christian Ingalls is his real name. He was in, what was he in? The Dead Kennedys? He was, he was associated with the Dead Kennedys in some way. He was actually a graphic, he's a graphic novelist. Yeah. yeah. And he, his brother, Marty Ingalls, who's still around, lives in Paris. He, he formed this band, yeah. And, and I was asked to, to be in it, you know, as people did in those days. Or you, if you had a synthesizer, you see, you could get into any yeah. band in those days because they were so expensive analog synths. And okay. they were so, so difficult to use. <laughs> so if you had one and could use it, you were like, oh, you could be in my band. Yeah. Sure. So, Fl Flock of Seagulls probably started on a way like this with the musicians, isn't it? I probably, mean, yeah. yeah. They, they, they use a lot of synthy sounds, for instance. And they, the 80s were quite full with that. Yeah. I think the they were right. yeah they were horrible synthesized sounds in the 80s really but um but that's when i yeah i would no i got into synths in the 70s yeah so that's when i first got into synths yeah all oh, right um, yeah so kind of fairly long in the tooth when it comes to uh synthesizers but anyway <laughs> so you want to talk to a bit more about my growing up and stuff so yeah i grew up yeah. in, in dorset um and it was really when i moved to the uh, we lived in towns but when we moved to the countryside in dorset that's yeah. what really switched me on to art so yeah. it was it was like suddenly living in the middle of the countryside and you know all the beautiful twisted oak trees and moonlit yeah. nights and stuff like that just just i just got really into it and started painting a lot a lot of paintings and at this time yeah. i was also making music and i got my first synthesizer so i started to kind of make 
music. Uh, and that was really inspired by a Tangerine Dream. All right. And it was inspired. And I got into that for in the kind of the mid 70s when uh, another, yeah, Tangerine Dream, great German band. When I was watching a, a program called Sutherland's Law, and uh, which was like a, a, a cop on the Outer Hebrides in uh, Scotland. And yeah. he had to go up to this girl's house because her parents were away and she was suspected of taking drugs. And mm. um, he, he called up to the house and the, the windows of the house were open and this music was coming out of these windows. And it was all... And I was going... I just went, what on earth is that coming out of the TV set? Oh, my God. And I asked everybody at school. Nobody knew what it was at all. And one guy said that. Hey? N. Clark? N. Clark? Was it N. Clark? No, it was Tangerine Dream. Uh, Ah, that was. Okay. And uh, when I asked everybody at school, nobody knew what it was. And this one kid said, oh, that's that's a band called Tangerine Dream. I've got, I'll do a cassette copy of a copy of a copy of a copy. <laughs> and and uh, so, listen to it. so I, that's why I got this cassette of, um, I think it was Rubicon or it was Phydra. I think it was Phydra. And uh, I was just like, oh my God, this is incredible. I've got, I've got to make this music. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, I actually ended up eventually making that music, um, which was quite, quite weird. Um, so right. recently, I know this should be, should be in your later podcast, but... Yeah. About three, four years ago, I did yeah. a did I did a started a PhD in UCC, yeah, in uh, digital arts, and one of our projects was to do a remediation project. Yeah. So um, I wondered what that was remediation, but basically what it means is taking something from one form and making it into another form, into another media. So remediating yeah. it, if you like, remediation. So I so what I did I took the album Rubicon which is my favorite Tangerine Dream album and I broke it down into a set of rules. So I didn't actually examine the music per se as the notes or the tones or anything, but I just said well the music is this long, Th- this stuff kind of happens here at the beginning is very ambient, rhythms start here, they get more complex here. So uh, they timed it. Yeah. And then um there were, you know, so many people in the band, they were using these instruments and they got together over this period of time. And yeah. so basically, I did did exactly that. I got those people. I got a number of people together. I got exactly the same instruments, pretty much. Well, at least close as I could get. And we did it all analog uh, in a studio in Cornwall, and made an album called Balerian, Um which sounds. I mean, the gas thing is, you listen to it, and I think there's a bit of it on my Instagram account. We'll send some links to it somewhere. And there Balerian, are, yeah, there are there are links. I mean, uh, uh, I can tell you already. So so that that. Uh, uh david has an instagram account and he has a link tree over there so dear listeners if you want um you want to listen to to the stuff uh you're probably able to to get through this link tree to to david's projects so yeah so, and we, you, we're gonna i'm gonna put that as well into the description um sure. it's all on spotify anyway so just put it Balerian in spotify i think yeah it's the only thing will show up what's be what's your instagram account it's it's uh, david david underscore ian underscore bickley but yeah so so david underscore ian underscore bickley and but but you guys get it as well in in the description so don't worry about that yeah so anyway that that was my tangerine dream thing and that that really turned me on and so i got into electronic music and and then oh when i what really happened was when i was at school um so i was like about 17 in secondary school 
And I was in this art class. Um, there was just me and 12 girls in this art class. Yeah. <laughs> Heaven. And um, <laughs> you know what I mean? Great fun. But yeah. um, where, where was that? That was in Dorset, in uh, Wimborne. And um, and how, how old have you been there at, at this well, stage? Well, I was, I was only there for my sixth form, so it was like two years from the age of like 17 to 19 and, and 18, really. But um, but what happened was there was, there was a, a thing came on TV. So it's BBC South. It was our local you know, BBC. And yeah. they uh, they came on and said, uh, does any young filmmakers out there want to make any films? Send in a script and we'll see if we're going to make it. We're going to make five films and we're going to give you full funding and all of this and yeah. so i and i went oh i'd love to because i'd i'd be involved in a little bit of filmmaking yeah uh, but not a lot nothing serious and so i got my brother was a great writer he said, i'll write your script he wrote this really good story really quickly okay and i and i, and I said oh no look it's it's past the uh, the time for it to be sent in and it was like last week but never no, i'll still send it in so i sent it in anyway not expecting yeah. anything to come back yeah so yeah. i remember sitting in the art class and the secretary school secretary came in and she said um is David Bickley in here? I went, oh my God, what have I done? I'm in trouble. She said, the BBC were on the, are on the phone for you. And okay. then and like every, all these 12 girls went, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, they decided to do an extra one because the script was so good. I mean, that, that is a great encouragement. Well, not me, it? it was my brother's script. So I, I directed it, basically. And they, they yeah. gave us, we shot it on 16 mil. And we shot it in, in the woods in Dorset. This uh, spooky, fi spooky film, which I think is online somewhere. I mean and that's that, that's that that's got great. me into a film. That, that's that that's actually a, an encouragement. What what every artist needs, isn't it? I mean, especially in an age from eighteen, nineteen, twenty. So so you, that gives you so much self-esteem that that you really start somehow to to continue with it. You 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 start to believe in yourself. You know. I mean, that, that, I think. Well, that, that's exactly true. Yeah, yeah, yeah you're right. Uh, but I mean, there's only only five people got that self-esteem, which is you know what I mean. Is this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. No, I mean, I know for myself. You know, I mean, uh, I I started to get my self-esteem quite late in, in, my, in my in my mid twenties. You know, and and normally, if you're really, I mean, uh, if, if you if 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 you if your parents not supporting you so much in this intellectual direction like like my parents it did, didn't have a clue i mean actually my father had because he was dolly driver at, uh, at, the, at the wdr <laughs> but he was not interested in it to to support me somehow was that i don't know why you know so it took me 10 years to build myself up and to understand that i am actually a uh, um, creative Yes. You know, yeah, yeah. So, no. Well, the parents so are really the parents are really important in that. And I have a young fella. Now, all my kids are kind of fairly creative. My son is a filmmaker, and yeah, he's done done very well. And, yeah. and a musician. And but uh, my younger son, who's only ten, he's um, he's very creative. And, and I just know notice now, well, being the age I am, being the age he is, that yeah. you know to give him as much encouragement as possible. Sure. And try sure. and guide him in the right way, but give him the freedom to express himself but i'd happy with any, any of my kids yeah never have a proper job and are all artists because quite frankly no. we need we need serious artists on this planet to correct oh, the balance oh yes oh yes 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 that's 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 for for that we are there we are just keeping keeping the balance going isn't it mm. yeah. so so that was it and the filmmaking because i'd made this film uh, i was able to get into art into art college very easily because i had a, and a six, after 16 that, after mil okay so, so 16 then mil you broadcast film you know so yeah sure 
And then I, I, I went to art college for three years, four years. I did a foundation and did a degree in film and went but to not, London. But not, not in visual art, in, 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 no, in, in filmmaking. No. no, I should have done visual art, really, but I could have, could have still made films in visual art and it would have been better. Sure, sure. But, sure. Um, but no, the, and the, the film I, I did then for my degree, my kind of final film, uh, won the Sony Film Festival first prize. I mean, I, it, which was, I mean, the only reason I'm saying that is because it was such a triumph in the sense that I was really... Uh, disencouraged by my tutors from making the kind of film I wanted to make because I wanted to make very arty films and they were all very political. It was all very political in the early yeah. 80s. You need to make agitprop kind of, you know, uh, political movies. And I was like, no, I'm making Statements. This, really, this spacey film about um, uh, alchemy. And they were like, no, you can't do that. And I did. And it, okay. and it won this uh, this prestigious prize, which was great. Yeah? So, that so, so in, in, inspired by Tanger and Dream as well, somehow. Oh, well, the music's very like Tangerine Dream that's in it. We did it all ourselves, yeah. yeah. Okay. That sounds Yeah, cool. no, very much inspired by Tangerine Dream. Yeah. yeah. So then I moved to London, and yeah. um, I ran a, uh, um, a studio with a friend of mine who was in a, had been in a pop band, and then he inherited some money, and he set up a studio, and we ended up doing music for films. So we yeah. were doing, like, soundtracks for movies and ads and a lot of corporate stuff. But it was the late 80s probably, no? It was the mid-80s, yeah, I think. Right. And then and then I got back into film again. Uh, quite accidentally, uh, I, I, know, I saw another call-out from the Landscape Channel, and they were, basically, they were basically selling new age music and classical music by putting uh, landscape images together with it. And it was on Channel 4, Late Night, and Sky, I think. Yeah. And... Um, it became really popular because uh, all the ravers were coming back from the clubs, switching it on at like seven in the morning and watching all these like, you know, ambient uh, videos, basically. This is before ambient video, really. And um, so I went off. I remember we, I, we were just on a corporate job for, for this, um, this charity and we got yeah. one of the guys to steal us some 16 mil film from their fridge. Yeah. We, we went and <laughs> borrowed a camera on spec that we were trying it out. And me and this guy, Matt Lipsy, who's now quite a well-known director, very well-known director, we yeah. went off and shot this landscape film in, in Norfolk, put it together with, a, with some music by Brian Eno, with his permission, yeah. and um, showed it to the Landscape Channel, and they commissioned us to do, I think, five films. Yeah. And then on the strength of that, these, these landscape films, I got asked to direct the landscape footage in a film in La shot in Lanzarote of, for Brian Eno's company. Oh, that's great. Um, I mean, Opal. So I shot this film and then they decided that I could be the co-director on the whole film. So we, I, I was that. And on the strength of that, I got um, a gig with the same distribution company to do three landscape films, one shot in Ireland, one in Morocco and one in Lapland. Yeah. Yeah. And that basically gave me the money to buy an edit suite which allowed me to move to Ireland and have a business so there you go that's the whole part of history in oh, all right you know what I would say because it's so interesting um, shall we continue with with that in a second part because I think projects and 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 and, and you're growing up it's it's intermingling somehow yeah well it, yeah i suppose it is yeah. and, and but, but it's it's great because we already have now our our our, our first one over than 20 minutes gone 25 <laughs> yeah. minutes and it goes Sorry, very waffling. 
No, 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 it's great. Don't don't worry about that. I mean, that's 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 a great thing with podcasts, you know. So we we are we are free in that. So there's no production company behind me uh, who says that if you have to stick to this or that, you know. Uh, unfortunately, we'll be drinking champagne at our little micro fridge in the corner if there was. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure we're gonna do that another time. Good. Yeah, I hope and, so. I'm uh, looking forward to that a lot. All right, we'll we'll cut there and start again. Yeah. Yeah, and uh, I, I would say thank you very much for 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 being guest in my show, my podcast. It was very interesting, and uh, dear listeners, uh, tune in to the second part as well if you like it. And uh, see you soon. Take care. Bye. 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 This is a listener-supported show. I feel honored if you subscribe to the show. You can follow me non-financial with the following click on one of my Instagram accounts or subscribe the visual version of this podcast on YouTube via the link below. If you like what you hear, be sure to tune in this Sunday for the third part of this Attitude Audio Triptych. If you want to leave a donation for a coffee or a bus ticket, just follow the donation link via the Attitude Podcast account. Eventually, I would like to thank, through this medium, all my members and listeners of the I Love West Cork Artists Network from all over the world. Just to remember myself that without you, this year couldn't and wouldn't happen. You have listened to Artitude, West Cork's first art, fashion and design podcast. Artitude, never so close again. Ah! That was too close.